Motasa Bhagavato Rahato Sama Sambuddhasa Motasa Bhagavato Rahato Sama Sambuddhasa Motasa Bhagavato Rahato Sama Sambuddhasa Uttang Dhammang Sangang Namasami So, um, last last week, last weekend, I gave my farewell desana, my funeral speech. So, <laughs> this is the post-mortem. And uh, as I've already, already left last week, I think uh, this week I should talk about what, what stays behind. <laughs> Somebody was saying how much um, you can experience the, the teachings of the Buddha and the conventions and the training and the even the impressions, and uh, you know of, of uh, the amount of detail there is in, in the Buddha's teaching. It's kind of oppressive, like a huge weight. There's so many enlightenment factors. There's dispassion, cessation, relinquishment, surrender. <laughs> Detachment, non-aversion, wisdom, compassion, sympathetic joy, equanimity, samadhi, rapture, bliss, various support faculties, hindrances, kilesas, defilements, asavas, floods, outflows, uh, suppurations, blemishes, cankers, blessings and so forth. And you, think, oh, and you get this sense of the, the immensity of it all, of the teachings. And this is just that then you don't, if you, don't, you go into the Abhidharma, you're really in, in, uh, in big time for detail. I don't know how many chitasikas there are accompanying every, every mind moment, you know, and every, which is, there's so much happening all the time. And you wonder how you're supposed to kind of keep in touch with all this and calibrate it and figure out what's, what's the good ones and what's the bad ones and how to keep ducking and weaving. And uh, you can get very busy. <laughs> it makes one's mind feel very busy as a, as a Buddhist, trying to, you know, notch up all the good stuff and be on guard against all the bad stuff and uh, understand all that needs to be understood and so forth. And then there's the vinya, the training. See, there's hundreds and hundreds of training rules to, to deal with. To kind of learn and have memorized so that every situation you're in, you can have some kind of rule to help you steer yourself through all this, through this kind of morass of life. (laughs) 
you know, so you have the suttas and the Vinaya and the Abhidharma, uh, and then the commentaries and all this, and you can feel quite overloaded with it all. Uh, <clears throat> and it seems it's actually, you know, it wasn't really what the Buddha intended, but there's a sense of there's the diversity because there's people are diverse and, you know, uh, some things lift up the mind different ways some things you you know, you know you recognize there's difficulties and it helps you to get some clarity when you can specify oh, this is restlessness or um, well, this is detachment or this is dispassion this is relinquishment this is sympathetic joy you know some of these terms that even they found quite difficult to get proper English terms for you know, mudita uh, joy at the welfare of others, yeah. and so so it's there, you know. And yet one can get lost in the details of it, <clears throat> or even just the presentation of it. Uh, there's a certain fascination with with any kind of detail, with learning it. There's a sense of you once accumulated a huge amount of stuff, where you really become a a, a professional Buddhist, because one has learned, knows so much stuff. It gives you a certain sense of either having done all the work, you've worked and you've got all you've acquired, or you've got everything you need to know. Any question you've got an answer for, any situation in life you've got a, something to deal, something that will help you deal with it. And you have this huge kind of uh, arsenal and uh, uh, of stuff. Mm. But it can get very oppressive because uh, the, the whole idea of kind of having to remember and create uh, and watch out for, you know, mind gets very busy. And actually it seems to fit in with the very uh, standard problem that people have these days. It's just too much information, <coughs> information overload. You know. So that what's happening you know, apart from things like your emails, your phone calls, your mobile phones, your faxes, your options, your signals, the signs, you drive down the street and there's 50 signs telling you what you could do and should do and shouldn't do or to be on guard against. There's huge amounts of information that everyone, you've got to recognize it. Uh-huh. It's there, it's some, everything is kind of giving you some kind of jolt or prod. So that the end result is the mind just feels very agitated and busy, even when you haven't done anything. It seems to be the common human problem because there's more more than just information. All that amount of of prodding and and uh, mental activity just makes you feel agitated and uh, tense, trying to hold it all together. is when you try to grasp life through your brain it's very complicated mm. but the Buddha's teaching is essentially about not grasping <laughs> uh, 
I was uh, <coughs> recently is coming back from uh, uh, Dana and stopped off at a small bird sanctuary on route this this Dana and wandering around uh, the bird sanctuary and these there are these six or seven hides where you can just sit and watch the but wildlife in this uh, wetlands and I was sitting sitting there and I got into this hide and think okay well get in there and you sit down five minutes and think well probably going now well, no what's there to go for you know? and uh, you look out and there's a few creatures not doing very much quacking about duck nibbling a bit of weed okay I've seen that and now the next what's the next bit to get and I could feel this sort of agitation. And then looking at the duck, just waddling around, quacking, and the duck takes off, another one lands, and nothing, nothing's really going on. And, okay, well, I've got that, and now what's the... You know, I could feel this... Actually, this duck is a lot more peaceful than I am. <laughs> <laughs> and he's never heard the Buddha's teachings. The duck looks pretty chilled out. <laughs> and then there was a, a herd of deer we saw and so you know you expect deer to be kind of jumping around somewhere I mean, the deer weren't jumping deer were just sitting around and you, you know they sat there and you looked at them do you know do something they didn't do anything and they, we, we sat and watched these deer for maybe 45 minutes or so and eventually after four, 45 minutes one of them kind of decided this would get up got up started nibbling some grass that was, that was the event <laughs> you know and I was thinking well I wish I could do that <laughs> you know practicing what is it for all these years? There's a deer, and the ducks looked a lot more tranquil and uh, ease. <laughs> they weren't carrying a whole lot of times and appointments and uh, uh, must-dos around with them. Uh, actually, there wasn't any particular. I didn't have anything particularly to have to do. You know, I didn't have anything I had to get back for. I wasn't, you know, it was well looked after, it wasn't cold or hungry, there's nothing attacking me. Nobody asked me anything. You can feel this kind of sense in which there ought to be something that, that uh, you know, there ought to be, I got to, I, I, I ought, uh, something, I ought to, just, 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 just sit here, relax, shut up. You know? <laughs> uh, I ought to get back for the meditation. Just meditate where you are. <laughs> <laughs> no, because one can make e- even these uh, forms of meditation sittings and so forth, something you've got to get to on time and get and do your, to make sure you've done your hour or whatever it is. Okay, I don't know, I've got my hour done. And how you can actually turn uh, something that's about being peaceful and being present into another um, set of activities and duties. Uh, you know, on an endless trail towards what, you know, peace. And it's really, you know, one begins to recognize that peace is always where, only going to be where you are through letting go of whatever's winding you up. 
And it's useful to have this, all these tools and reminders, you know, just to check, oh, this is, oh, that's restlessness, oh, that's craving, oh, yeah. So it's, but you don't have to have the whole lot, you know. It's like when you want to, uh, you know, paint, paint a wall of the house, you don't have to have, to have to paint every kind of paintbrush, spanner, screwdriver, just, just one will do, but you figure which one you need right now to do the work you need to do. And having the trust that essentially you'll pick the one that you need, the right one will come at the right time. And you only get that sense of trust when you actually relax and let go. It seems that be, you know, beyond all the tools and the systems, what we, when we, whenever we do manage to let go or drop or relax, you come back into something that stays behind when all the strategies and all the anxieties stop. Yeah. You're in something that's already here. Blessedness. Probably in one of the first things one is in, encouraged or, or presented with is, is taking refuge in Buddha, Dharma, Sangha. And uh, I, may, I think for myself, certainly just a, you know, well, okay, some sort of ritual chant to, to, to do, which means you, doesn't really mean very much at all, actually. Uh, and but over over the years, it's become something that actually becomes almost all, all that the practice really is. You know, the, the the whole hallmark and entry point of the practice is just the, the sense of entering into something which is already a blessing. Entering into something that's already a blessing, and the tools and the systems are there to help you to remember it and also to to help you to come back to it. It's like most of, most of my, my conditional activities, my conventional activities, my habit activities, things that pull me away from that blessedness, from that place of, of centeredness, stability, peace, ease, nothing to do, nothing to prove, nothing to get rid of. Refuge, I call it, refuge. And, and certainly as a practice continues or deepens begin to recognize more fully the, the instincts and the impulses that take take me away at first they're so quick they're so fast that you don't, one doesn't, I don't even see them you know, you're just out uh, and you're doing you know, you're in your stuff and it's big and, it, and there's, there's things out there and you've got to make this and you've got to stop that and it's busy and so forth mm.
you wonder why it's so difficult to take to take refuge you know, for us to just stop and feel blessed, feel okay with ourselves. Why that's so so can be so difficult, so agitating. Mm. Now, one of the uh, things one, when one becomes a, goes forth as a summoner, then one of the big things is just receiving people's generosity. And uh, this is quite a challenge. I always found it a challenge going up in arms around my early years as a monk because I see people who obviously don't have very much money and they're giving me rice and they don't seem to, you can't pay it back, you don't know what to do. And they don't seem to want anything. They don't really want you to kind of say anything nice or pleasant or hello or you know, present a card or show them how much you've done today or how many hours you've clocked up in meditation's cushion and just put the rice in the bowl and then you walk on. And uh, that's difficult enough. I remember when I, my first years, this, I was walking down the street in uh, Nakhon Sawan in Thailand and this person came up and immediately actually bowed at my feet in the street. It was a kind of almost unbearable <laughs> feeling of, of embarrassment and awkwardness that, you know, this, somebody's doing this to, to, to this, to me, you know. Why, why is it so, so difficult to actually... I didn't ask him to do it. He wasn't saying, you know, I, you get down there, bow at my feet. He wanted to do it. <laughs> Obviously, they wanted to do it. They must have done it because it made him feel good or something. Nobody was pushing him into it. Why is it so awkward to allow people to, to do what they want to do? You know, when they want to do something that uh, has meaning for them. Yeah. And it seems there's a whole kind of uh, challenge between what one's learned to do, which is to sit, get a sense of stability and identity and okayness around the, con- the conventional structures of my thinking, my attitudes, my reasons, my, you know, what I can call me. So most of my life is actually spent around firming up that, that uh, my ability to make things, to change things, to do things, to achieve things, to um, not be blamed, to be a success in some kind or another. And that, that's, as long as I can keep doing that, I'll be all right. And ideally, in life, you just learn more and more ways in which you can keep hitting the bell. You know, going to the, keep knocking the, the, the coconut off the shy. You know, you know more and more tricks, strategies, ways in which you can pre-prove you are definitely good enough. Keep proving definitely that you're good enough. You're probably a bit better than the next person, or at least as good. You're not worse. And so, okay, as long as you can keep doing that, you'll be all right. As long as you can keep proving that you're okay, you're all right. And so you keep believing in your ability to do, to think, to make, to change, to to affect, you know, this this kind of stuff. If you can't do that, you feel nervous. Because the whole sense of refuge or stability has grown around that particular ability. Everything that, uh, the success ability, the, uh, 
the achievement ability, the thinking ability, the uh, you know, calculating ability, everything has taken refuge in that. And then something happens which is not about anything you're doing, or thinking, or achieving, or succeeding at, or proving, or standing out as unique about. And that is being respected. And it's deeply unsettling. Because it's, oh, it's not, I don't feel, I'm this. And this other stuff, I don't, I don't, feel, I don't know what that is. Yeah. It's like you, you've, you've taken uh, your sense of stability is based upon something. You know, all these uh, activities, karma, if you like, and, and habits, and who you think you are. When somebody starts relating to you from a different position, it's deeply disturbing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in a way that you can't understand, because it's not hostile, it's not menacing, it's not demanding, it's not manipulative, and it's touching something that I, I can't, I don't know where that is, I can't hold it, I can't name it, I can't think it, I can't rationalize it, I can't prove it, I can't make it better, I can't change it. It's, a, it's not... Uh, and you think there's something there that it's not under your control. Mm. And that's, that's, in a way, a challenge, it's also a blessing. Because you begin to, maybe I'm not who all that stuff says I am. Which could be a relief, because as much as uh, one tries to make sure it's uh, all right and okay and you're getting on top and nobody's doing anything bad to you and you're succeeding and approved of it. You never quite get it fully because of the fundamental anxiety and restlessness and desire that goes along with it means you're never completely relaxed and at ease with yourself. There's always something you've got to make, do, remember, calculate, prove, change, fix. And certainly it's easy to take the whole of the spiritual Buddhist teachings and recruit all that to support that effort. So you get more and more strategies and structures and, and uh, words and ideas and powers and things to, to, to support that, that sense. You can kind of take the blessing out of, out, of, out of the practice and make it another engineering job. So one of the most profound uh, uh, developments is the ability to increasingly take Take refuge for me. Speaking personally, I feel there is there is something a lot bigger than I can think of, get hold of, fathom, understand, and worse than that, it's actually beautiful. <laughs> it's not even you know threatening that I've got to kind of protect myself from. But all he's saying is just 
just relax into it. And for the conditioned ego structures, that's, that's very frightening because it's, all that stuff is not necessary anymore. All the things that you've, that you've spent so many years, kind of lifetimes perhaps, fashioning and structuring, it's not, it doesn't work here. So you don't know, you know, to enter that blessedness, you have to stop being who you've learned to be. That can be very uh, disturbing. Hmm. So I was saying when I was, um, you know, when I came back from Tibet, one of the most uh, uh, powerful experiences was quite unplanned and uh, maybe even sounds quite insignificant in a way because I was going to Tibet to pilgrimage around a holy mountain was the big thing, you know, get out there, the, out the struggle, the manly effort, you know, pitting oneself against the elements, struggling over the Dromala Pass at 19,000 feet, wheezing and gasping, you know, and sense of exhaustion. Yeah, okay, I, I think I could manage that, you know. But the, one of the most, uh, that was difficult, it was difficult, I'd admit. And uh, so I, I went with another monk who was quite good at, at mountaineering and rock climbing, you know, so we were kind of, okay, you know, we can manage this. But then on the way out there, we were in this little jeep. We had to stop, you know, obviously we stopped every day. We just stopped to, uh, had some sandwiches. And we stopped by the side of a, the road in a mountain, mountainous area. And there was a little village, maybe, you know, half a kilometre away. So they, they saw this, this land cruiser, you know, stop. So naturally, a few of them came down, you know, to check out what was happening, because nothing happening where they were. <laughs> so we were the event. <laughs> and then naturally, of course, the kids came down, the little kids came down. I mean, look at these grubby little Tibetan kids. So, okay, you know, you start giving them bits of your lunch. And, you know, okay, kids. And then the mothers came down, you know check out what was going on. And the mothers, you know, saw, oh, monk. There's two of us monks, and you can see they look, oh, monk. So they went away. And then a whole load more of the village came down. These old women, old men, young men, toddlers, kids. And uh, they, they all came down, and they were about bending over, and they were kind of pointing at their heads, you know, and looking at me, and then uh, the, the translator, he said, oh, she, they want you to give them a blessing, just t- touch the head. And so, okay. Fortunately, you know, I've been around long enough to be able to, to, to you know, to, so I said, oh, well, just, I'll just sit here. And then uh, the people would come along and they all, this kind of incredibly ragged, um, you know, really grubby, dirty people, you know, look, oh, you wanted to do something like, you can even give them some food or some money or, you know, some, give them a bath or holiday or something. Because <laughs> you know? they, they didn't look in great shape, you know, kind of looked half like yaks, some of these people, in kind of tatty old clothes, that completely unwashed, grubby people. And uh, some of them seemed to be, you know, in, in quite, having skin diseases and in pain. And you think, what can you do? And, and they just wanted to, to come and offer their heads, you know, to a monk. 
So I, I thought, okay, I sat there and they came along and just kind of touched his head. And, and the person looked up, and this complete joy, you know, and breathtaking to be looked upon with such incredible trust and joy. You know, I think this is what people have dogs for in Britain. <laughs> it was like that, you know, when, like when you come home and your dog looks at you. It was like that. But to see a human being, a grown human being doing that, you look up in a sense of they feel blessed. And uh, the moment I was with, he couldn't take it. He had to go off and do something useful. Uh, <laughs> You know, so he, he just couldn't. He went off and started cleaning, washing the pots in the river, or doing the washing up, because uh, it was just, uh, you know, that's something you can feel. I'm doing something useful. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not being a parasite. I'm working my way. I'm, you know, <laughs> that's okay. But, but uh, just to be seen, seen as a blessing, is uh, it's too, it's too, it's too embarrassing. It's too overwhelming. Mm. And there was actually about 40 of these people, and just kind of just didn't say anything, just touched their head, and they, every one of them looked up like this had been their event, the big event to be blessed. Uh, and when I got, in the, got back in the car, and they started bringing their children, little babies in, into the, into, they were poking their babies through the window, <laughs> <laughs> like baby, little toddler. You know, and they say, well, this is really nice, you know, actually I can do this. Said, what am I doing? You don't, just don't, don't think about it. <laughs> you know, don't, don't think about it. You know, you just, uh, something's happening here. And uh, you don't have to get in the way with it, with your thinking comparative mind, and this is all mumbo jumbo or something. There's something happening here. You know, why don't you just, just trust it? So it's, I think that was incredibly powerful. It was obviously they got something out of it, but the the the, the what it, what was happening for myself is just this sense of myself just disappear. You know, this this person who's going somewhere, planning something, thinking something, has to stop. And uh, this kind of quality of an emptiness, which is not barren, but um, radiant quiet, truly grand sense of grandeur and not because of something I'm doing but because of being seen in that way and allowing allowing myself to be seen in that way without judgment embarrassment criticism, nervousness dismissiveness, just allowing oneself to be seen as a blessing and that that blessing is not, you know, my thinking mind, my moods, my learning, my study, my background, my history, but something that, that happens through uh, you know, quality of refuge that one both takes and is part of. You know, Sangha is refuge. Perhaps the, um, you know, one of the most difficult for us to, to, to accept, you know, Buddha, because, well, after all, you know, Buddha's dead, the physical Buddha's dead, Dhamma wants the teaching, but actually to see Sangha, human beings, uh, in this particular context of uh, dispassion, there's nothing passionate about the touch, 
There was nothing, you know, personal about it. But uh, there's something about the sense just allowing uh, a purity of connection to occur, which was not grasping. You know, you get in the truck and you're gone and never again. There's no hanging on, there's no, no need. You know, just that, that moment. And uh, this is what the refuge of Sangha is about, isn't it? And maybe when we, maybe we touch that when we, when we sit together. And sitting together may not occur when, that, when those bodies sit down. We may be sitting down and still in our, you know, our little shells, our little videos, our little playstations, you know, whatever's going on. And, <laughs> you know, we're encased in our stuff. Uh, so we not actually be sitting together, but sometimes it's actually the case when you when you come and sit here with a group of people, you start to feel another another sense, another sense that there's a there's a whole energy here, a whole steadiness here, a whole calm here, which is nobody's doing anything to anybody or trying to convince or wouldn't it be over. There is a a quality of what arises just through presence of other be- other human bodies, other people being in presence, being present, or even trying to be present, or something in them is present. And it's, it's interesting, because I've, I've often found that uh, um, you know, group meditations can have a, a more immediate effect than when I'm practicing on my own. You know, sense of being in something that's steadying. As we've begun to notice that, that the uh, practice happens uh, not exactly despite me, but <laughs> you know, the, the me bit is, is something that begins to learn it to tune in to, to a process rather than to be in charge of it, is tuning into the process whereby some, something in the body starts to calm, something starts to open up, things start to settle. There are particular. Um, almost messages you know, that need to be recognized, such as it's, it's uh, the space here, uh, there's no pressure here, uh, there's nothing to, you need to make here, nothing need, you need to do here. It's, it's almost like the, one has to sense that bodily, emotionally, as well as just through the head. Mm. So personally, when I come to sit to a meditation, then what I do at first, and sometimes all I do you know, for the whole period is just 
um, sit and be, check in with those points. Like, is there something? Where are you? You know, actually, where am I? And I'm not in Thursday, which is going to be Friday. I'm not in the morning, which is going to be the afternoon. I'm not in the middle of something that's going to happen to something else. I'm not in the process of trying to make something. No, actually, yeah. But where right now are you? Oh, I'm just sitting here. <laughs> and, uh, and then, well, how, how do you know that? I know you're here. Well, I can feel the ground and I can feel body, and I can feel the breathing, I can sense the silence, and the space, there's no pressure. It's almost like some, like the nerve endings start to pick up the messages of presence, rather than the messages of future, possible, probable, maybes, shoulds, ought to. They start to pick up the message of presence. And... Uh, you know, then actually coming into that, you can almost feel it through the skin. Uh, and the body starts to kind of open up and feel comfortable. Uh, as if I'm sitting in something like a warm bath. You know. I just recommend, if you're interested, just playing with that. Checking out, taking the time, checking out what, your, what even your body is sitting in. Yeah. Which is a much slower rhythm and perhaps something that needs a bit of encouragement for its, uh, its intelligence to start working. And then Buddha. So, when we have, we sit with, with Buddha, and particularly this, this Buddha was something I was very uh, keen to have a Buddha that was relaxed, <laughs> friendly, soft, you know, uh, and so this, this very lovely image we have for us created here. I mean, actually, all Buddhas basically have this impression, but I wanted to make this impression a very dominant impression. Uh, because uh, by, by, and la- by and large, when, without really thinking about it, there's a, there's a subtle message for me with Buddha, Buddha, enlightened one, awakened one, master, teacher. You know, and the message it comes up with, bigger, better, probably looks down on you. <laughs> you know, says, you've got to work harder, faster, your handwriting could be improved, um, your speech habits are a bit, a bit rough around the edges, um, you're not very mindful, must, could do better. Is the, is the end of the, end of the term report? Every term could do better. <laughs> C minus <laughs> in this <laughs> lacks real enthusiasm. <laughs> That's the Buddha. For, you know, I never thought of it like that. That's the kind of undertone that can be there. And then you get a phrase like the Buddha bestows blessings on me, which one chants, your mouth chants it. You know, Buddha bestows blessings on me. <laughs> you don't really believe Buddha's going to bestow anything on you apart from kind of rather snooty look. <laughs> and a lot of homework, you know, to do. You haven't studied the suttas. You don't know Pali. Yeah. You haven't learned the Abhidharma. You haven't learned the commentaries. Could do better. 
you know, meditation, meditation isn't that refined, just, just sitting there. You should be, you know, 15 stages, 16 of these, or 32 of those, you should be doing all that. But then actually just sensing Buddha as, well, no, just, just try and play with the, at least the idea at the cognitive level, what would it be like? Okay, what, what would it be like if there was somebody there who was just bestowing blessings on you? What would that be like? Just, just imagine it, you know. Um, well, I'm... Uh, <laughs> and it's like, it's like your system doesn't know how to say it. It doesn't know how to, to form that impression. It knows how to form... Because I've learned, it's learned how to form impressions of could do better, not enough, maybe next week, try harder, you know. It knows that language. It doesn't know the language of you're really all right. It doesn't, it doesn't, it can't hear that language. You know, idea, you can hear the words, but it just kind of goes in one ear and out the other. It doesn't. <laughs> so, well, there's a whole language that the heart hasn't actually picked up yet. And this is what taking refuge is about. It's like trying to get the heart to learn to the nerves of presence, you know, to open up and actually learn the language of blessing. And so I actually start to imagine or visualize or pretend what would it be like, you know, if there was somebody who just really friend, wherever you, whatever you do, we're in this together. Whatever you do, I'm going to be there for you. Well, oh, and then we'll call that one Buddha. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, okay. I think I could I could work with that, you know. I could work with that. That's meaningful. There's something happens for me when I do that. And that's something that I'd certainly that would be refuge, you know. And so I want to practice that. And uh, so I do that, you know. Actually, I, I don't go to that place in my system, which is about making and doing and trying and trying to get it okay and apologizing for the hash up I made of yesterday and trying to do better tomorrow and if I only was more, you know, warm or made friendly or um, if only I was a little bit more serene I try and be more serene I've tried hard so many years to be more serene Then I'd be all right, wouldn't I? <laughs> so uh, just don't don't even go to that place, you know, because it's never going to take. I've been there many times, and it never takes me anywhere good. It just takes me more tense, guarded, wary, <laughs> and then actually from that place I make more of a hash of it, you know, because I get critical, nervous, mistrustful. Um, over busy, you know, trying to make things work and so forth. Let's go to the place where, you know, you're you're in you're in refuge, and then you feel the. Then suddenly these these um, these forms these these forms of mind begin to you begin one well, begins to see what they are. Yeah. Because of course it, it's uh, uh, you know if something comes along and says 
says to you, hey, I'm greed. You go, oh, I'm not taking that one. If somebody something comes along and says to you, oh, I'm hatred. Not interested. Uh, something that says, uh, I'm, I'm worry, fear. No, I don't want anything to do with that. So they think, oh. They don't bother to come like they come like they come along saying, "Oh, hello! I'd like to help you get a bit better. <laughs> Please let me in." And then, then it's like one of those uh, the HIV virus. You know, it pretends to be um, part of your system. So it says, oh, "Actually, I'm you, right? First of all, I'm you, and I'm going to help you." Uh, you know, so okay, it comes in. It's actually a worry demon. I'm glad you're in here now. Now let's. Well, I'm going to help you sort yourself out. Okay, you and me, we're going to go places together. It's going to take a little bit of work, but you know we'll we'll do it. You just got to work a bit, get a bit tighter first of all, and tense. That's better. That's much better. Now you're in good shape, tight, tense. Now start thinking, <laughs> <laughs> and we'll sort it out together. You know, <laughs> that's what it says. You're all right. Okay. Right, well, that's, Thursday, you know, what about May and the West? I have a plan for that. There's a katina, and then there's visiting monks are coming. So, yeah, right, well, at the end of an hour, you think, oh, I've got that sorted out. <laughs> 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 you know, you can, a worry demon yeah. gets in as, as your friend, as the one who's going to help you make the world work. The responsibility demon. You know, this is just worry. You know, the fear demon, which is uh, comes in as as well. You want to be careful because things might go wrong. And after all, this is a big job you're doing here. You don't want to get it wrong. Because <laughs> if you get it wrong, you know, the sangha will fall into disrepute, and the Buddhism in the West and it will be your fault. <laughs> All right, oh, thank you. Thank you for telling me that. <laughs> I suspected as much. <laughs> thank you for telling me. You know. So that's a, as it comes in, and, you know, and it sounds, because it goes right into all that, that structuring that, that, that uh, the life of me has been about. So it sounds like me. It sounds like my voice. It's a, it's a virus. You know, like any other, it mimics. And then, it, and then you think, oh, and you believe in it. And this other bit, this blessing bit, no, don't trust that stuff. <laughs> but there are times and there are moments when you just can't resist it anymore. <laughs> and uh, there are times and moments. And certainly um, these times and moments are getting more often. And this, this is one of them. Number of people have, you know, come to today or throughout this week. People phoned up, you know, to say, "Oh, hello, just say goodbye. Please have a good, to really enjoy yourself. 
have a good time, you've done so much, really have a good time. <laughs> and you go, uh, yeah, okay, um, right. Uh, <laughs> as if you're supposed to, you know, because this bit, it doesn't, it doesn't get that, you know. Uh, uh, that, uh, yeah. But then when I, I can, un- I can understand it, and I can appreciate it. The, the signs, you know, the, the genuine uh, signs of, of people, you know, almost coming, offering their heads, offering their, you know, in their different ways. We all have different ways of doing that, of, of offering and supporting and uh, uh, just coming to express benevolence, goodwill. It's a blessing. And it... Uh, it does remind me just how much this whole, whole of this, um, my path, you know, the path of the Buddhism, the path of going forth, really, has been about that, you know, from the very first moments when you get, you get sponsored, you know, as a seminary, somebody doesn't even really know you, wants to give you things. And then uh, they want, want to give you something. And they don't want to, they don't want anything back out of it. Uh, and then somebody wants to teach you something and sh- help you. And they, then you offered a, a place to live in, you know, a little cootie, and they said, and they say, let's bring some food. Um, and and uh, wow. You know. And it's a, a theme that runs through and keeps coming back time and time again. So I, as I often said, I, when I first uh, started practicing, I thought you know, it was something I could do. And I'd do it, well, you know, probably do it in a couple of months or so. It's like learning to type. <laughs> you know, you get good at meditating in a couple of months, to it, then you, you've done that, and then you could... You know, do something else with it when she got that one down. Yeah. But of course, in, when one begins to enter, when the nerves of presence start to wake up, you know, they, even though you can't formulate it, they're beginning to sense something that's not about doing anything or, or learning anything. It's about unlearning all the false programming uh, of, of self. Mm. So I, as I say, I stayed for uh, three, you know, three months, six months, a year. Became a bhikkhu, uh, which was, again was a mind-blowing event when these seven hundred women wanted to, <laughs> to sponsor me <laughs> and all offer something, and you know, uh, you know, and and then coming to to England and. Uh, Joining, uh, staying with Agent Sumato. Uh, so it's, yeah. and then actually, I think for the first three years it was basically me meditating and then, well, wearing robes because that was what you were supposed to do. I wasn't really a monk for about two or three years, really, in my mind. It was just me wearing these robes because that's what you had to do in order to, to, to meditate, to, to be in this place. But then it was um, living. With uh, Ajahn Sumato, with Lumpur, that that uh, was a great blessing because it it was 
a sense of just being with other human beings who were, were living, you know. Uh, it was the Sangha Refuge. That was the first time I really felt a sense of Sangha Refuge. And uh, the, the beauty, that, that the, the, the humor, the warmth, the gentleness, the, the enjoyment that, always, that comes through that, of just of living in that way. Uh, and it's something I always deeply appreciated about, about, uh, about Yu Lumpur. <laughs> Is the the, uh, the 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 kind of sim- the beautiful simplicity, you know, was, was never about. It was always simple, and uh, never tried to be complex or more. And and it was sort of like just no grasp. <laughs> it could always be that much. And from that, the the, the light and the and the radiance comes from that. And living that way, you could live it. It wasn't about doing a necessarily some kind of intensive retreat where you do lots of things and get to certain stages. It was just about that continual place of letting go and how if you stayed in that place, almost like your intelligence began to grow in that place of letting go so you could begin to actually handle the details of daily life without getting stuck in it without rejecting it, without looking down upon it and without grabbing it. You could act, your, your intelligence could grow in the place of letting go to the, to the point where you could actually handle doing, talking, speaking, plan, even planning without getting stuck in it. And that, to me, was always just a you know, really wonderful opportunity, real blessing to, to be able to live, you know, not... not as some kind of state you got into uh, as a one-off now and then, you know, but actually to be living in, in that way as uh, a sense of real kind of um, wholeness to it. And this comes back to me today because I have my my teacher and friend Lumpur Sumedho here, so that always brings back that particular sign for me. Uh, and leaving this monastery uh, causing me to remember what it was like when we first got here and uh, the, the amount of efforts that have gone into it and the, you know, one stands on the shoulders of those who've gone before and so tonight we're placing Lumpur Panyavado's little bone in, in, the, in the Buddha Rupa here and someone who, you know, was right back there in the in the wild and woolly days of 1956. And, uh, you know, we, we inherit the work of what's gone before, and isn't that a blessing? You know, that we, 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 we carry forth, we're able to inherit, and from that also present and offer and make something useful and beautiful of our lives uh, and for the welfare of others, and isn't that a blessing? And in leaving here, I feel that sense also. And also, when I look around, I see my my colleagues, friends, the bhikkhus and Siddhartha, who've uh, practiced together and uh, worked together and had our ups and downs together. And uh, the sense of something more than just a, you know, not just a, a, not something you know affection isn't the word for it it's a sense of of um, you know being real 
being, having people be real with each other. <laughs> you know, uh, not just always positive or always negative, but actually using each other to become more real, more sane. And these, these people have helped me do that, uh, or helping me to do that. So these are the, the ways in which I, re, I do come into this uh, recognition of the blessing. Uh, and uh, it's so ordinary. You know? It's like, how can you not, how can you spend so much time not, not seeing, not seeing this? Yeah. Uh, that too is, a, is a, a blessing, that it is so ordinary and so available for us. If we can just, you know, come to that place where one trusts, does the daring to take refuge, to be in refuge, and begin to wake up in that, to get one's intelligence, one's sensitivity, to wake up in that, rather than have one's sensitivity wake up and start to formulate itself in fear and dread and greed and worry. To have one's intelligence wake up and formulate itself in blessing, gratitude and contentment. Uh, This to me is uh, the major process of the practice. And it stays with us. So I'm not, when I'm going away from here, I'm not intending really to I don't, I'm not going particularly on a touring trip or a sightseeing trip, but um, just to recognise, you know, my own, partly my own tendencies to get, you know, very much in, caught in the, the functioning, you know, from good places maybe, good intentions, but to just, just continually see, keep seeing myself as someone who manages and works and functions and makes things happen. Uh, and yeah, that's part of it, but I want to be able to do that from a place of ease and blessedness, and uh, this is what my, I feel my, my sabbatical is about. Mm. So, with uh, if the time is right, if the occasion is right, and then I'll, I'll be, hope to be here in the future in order to, to continue uh, process together. Anyone? Andamayam Dhammagataya Sadhu Karam Dadamase Sadhu